2: Well, hello, gentlemen. Hello, Jesse. Hello, host Jesse. Are you sitting we, down?
1: We are. I am sitting down. I'm sitting in the in the the presider's chair of
2: this podcast. <laughs> it's the celebrant's chair, anyway, Jesse. That's the priest chair. No, the priest celebrant's and, chair. And
1: I have uh, oh. episcopal authority over this podcast, so I can deliver my words while seated. So you know how that goes. Uh, so last week we talked about. Uh, approaching the altar. We talked a lot about the altar itself. And this year, we're going to, or not this year, this episode, we're talking about the
0: chair. No, th- actually the whole rest of this year is going to be on the chair. <laughs> I mean, what? What's oh, one thing? Oh my gosh, that- I got so, I got oh, so nervous yeah. when you said that. Yeah. Oh, we're going to do
1: one word at a time to this oh, document. Oh my gosh.
0: I hope people don't feel that way. I mean, what, what's one thing that's slower than the celebration of the mass? It's the liturgy guys talking about the celebration of the mass. <laughs>
1: Chris, there's going to be a fan podcast about our podcast where they talk about us talking oh, about the man. mass, and it's going to be even slower than that. Oh, so you're
2: concerned that the richest gift of God to us and creation ever takes a lot of time to talk about?
0: I think it's great. Yeah. So I don't, don't self
2: sell yourself, Chris. And it doesn't
0: it's exist, my, so we
1: got to go. We got to be thorough about
0: it. But it's but my, uh, it's my American pragmatic get her done type of. Metality. Hey, Sorry as Father
1: that. Dennis Gill says, pragmatism is the enemy of liturgy. So let's mm. do away with that, Chris. Mm, All right,
2: so let's get let's get into it. So where are we in the ger- in the general instruction? We're talking about the chair for the pre celebrant and other seats. Interesting that the general instruction calls it the chair for the pre celebrant It doesn't say the presider's chair, right? Which is old termy, I mean, old timey terminology from the. Yeah, what was behind days. that?
0: Because I still hear that sometimes. Is it a yeah, priest well, chair? Is it a presider's chair? Is it celibate's chair? And then you got a bishop's chair. What's. I don't know. What, well, do you remember, Dennis, what's behind the priest chair, presider chair thing?
2: Well, the word presider always used to bug me, and because uh, it always sounded like a low churchification of. The role of the priest, that he's not the head of the body, he's not the offerer, he's not the priest, he's just the presider, the one who presides. And a presid a priest is the one who presides, and it actually comes from pre and sidere, which means to sit before, the one who sits before uh sits before
0: really? God, I suppose. Yeah. Is it like is it related then to like prae?
2: Well, the Jew in French means God, so it's the prié to God. It's a God prayer place.
0: I've Um, never heard that about presider, though.
2: But I think people will often um, use presider as an intentional low churchification of the priest's sacramental role. Not everybody does it that way on purpose. It just becomes common parlance. And Yes, a priest does preside. He goes before uh, all of the other other people. So there's something true about that. But I, pref- I much prefer what the general instruction says, which is priest celebrant, the chair of the priest celebrant, because that's a much fuller thing, right? The priest is the offerer, offerer, the celebrant is the one celebrating the liturgy, and then the chair is where he sits. I don't want
1: to get ahead of ourselves, but would that indicate that? if a deacon were to celebrate a communion service, he, he cannot use that chair because it's for priest celebrant not
0: a deacon? Correct, isn't that right, Chris? No, it's not no, right, Chris? he can do it. Oh. Yeah, he can do it. So, trying to think, um, it'd be most clear in this, uh, there's a, a, it's a U.S. doc, well, yeah, it's a U.S. document, but it's based off of a tip, Latin Vatican typical edition directory called the uh, Sunday celebrations in the absence of a priest. And that will say explicitly that the deacon can occupy the priest's chair or the presider's chair, whatever. Uh, And it will say also explicitly that a layperson never sits in that same chair, so I don't know, you know, some, so many of these uh, books, you know, that come out over the last 50 years, they, they kind of get more precise as they go along. They think, oh, we should have thought about that. And as time goes along or second and third editions come along, they'll, they'll clarify a little bit. But I do think, Dennis, that a deacon can, if he's leading, say, Liturgy of the Hours... Uh, can sit in the priest chair.
2: Okay. Well, we can send ourselves a question on that. Send Chris, send a question to questions at liturgyguys.com. From, okay, let me Rodiger. get, let me get,
0: <laughs> yeah, let me get my uh, big chief uh, uh, pad of paper. And a pen. And you know,
2: just to make it more confusing, the Book of Blessings calls it the presidential chair, which now we start thinking about the president of the United States and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: ba-da, ba-da, mm-hmm, ba-da, mm-hmm.
2: Ba-da, yeah, but as I said before, pray and see to sit before. So eventually, What it comes out to be is to have authority, to um, have um, control in a sense, Uh, someone who directs the – the others. And so I think that's the goal. Now, you can see that in two ways. One, in the great, broad, mystical body, the head, of course, directs the members of the body. And that's what heads always do. The heads make those decisions. Or you can see it in the low church sense of, you know, he's just the head. He's just one of us, you know, who just happens to be in charge, kind of as the Baptists might think of their ministers. I think, though, priest celebrant does it well, right? It's the priest celebrant who then leads the others in that kind of um,
0: prayer. Yeah, Well, a couple of things come to mind, Dennis, while you're talking. And I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here or not. But um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the, back to that germ, it says um, the most suitable place for the chair is, I guess, at the head of the sanctuary, since he's, you know, presiding or leading as the head, the captain or caput of the mystical body. So, I mean, if you wanted, if that's what he is sort of supernaturally, spiritually, how would you... How would you sacramentalize that? Well, you'd actually put the chair at the head of the sanctuary. Um, but I, maybe before my next question, any, any anything on that? Well, I mean, paragraph 310 of the
2: journal instruction, I guess you have it there. It says exactly. Um, the chair of the priest celebrant must signify his office of presiding. Okay, so that brings it all together. The chair of the celebrant signifies that he is leading and directing prayer. Thus the best place for the chair is in a position facing the people at the head of the sanctuary, which doesn't seem so right. You could imagine, you know, if, if the, uh, I like to use this example of who's the person who leads the parade, the the grand marshal or something. If they're leading the parade, do they turn around and face the people they're leading? No, they lead them in that direction. Nonetheless, this is what the instructions of the church say. um, Unless the design of the building or other circumstances impedes it, uh, or if the tabernacle is in the center behind the altar. So... I think what they have in mind is when you look at some of the early churches that we have, the very earliest churches in Rome that we still exist, the bishop's chair would be on the center of the, of the apse, which is the semicircular area behind the altar uh, at the very front of the church from the people's point of view. But oftentimes the altar would not be there. It's not like the throne kind of arrangements that many people had in the 70s or 80s where the priest was lording over the whole thing. Uh, it was his leadership role that that indicates uh, that's indicated by the chair.
1: I also have a question about the tabernacle, too. So, like, if you have the tabernacle in the apps, the, like, for architecturally speaking, do you—am I looking at the altar and then maybe the, the chair has to be a little bit higher so you can actually see the priest and then a little bit higher than that is the tabernacle so you can see that? I mean, I've just—I think there'd be a lot of confusion and complication. Right. So.
2: Well, typically, they don't put the chair in front of the tabernacle. Either the tabernacle's in the center and the chair's off to the side, or the ta- chair's in the center and the tabernacle's, up, tabernacle's off to the side. You wouldn't want to have to look past the, through the priest's head uh, to find it. <laughs> but when the tabernacle is in the center, it does set up the problem that people don't know what to do with the celebrant's chair. They wind up in a corner, they're turned at 45 degrees, they kind of float around. And I don't think anybody has solved that problem very well. Um, part of it is because. They intuitively don't want the celebrant's chair at the center of the apse because people want the tabernacle there. And then if that's the case, then where does the priest's chair go? Back in the days of Ad the altar was at the apse and the tabernacle was on it. That solved everybody's problem because it was all in the same place. And then the celebrant sat off to the left and then climbed up the mountain of God to the altar up the steps with the people. In that sense, leading the people was very clear. Now we have a sense of leading the people by looking at them, not by leading them to... You know something where they're both trying to find the de- same destination. So, and I'm not trying to beat up. I'm not trying to get all
0: radical. Oh in this. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> but it does set up structural problems in the church itself.
0: No, I think to. I, I, I agree. I agree with you to a point, though. But I think you know. I mean, it, it, I think at the chair. Well, I suppose it's what the priest is doing in the course of the mass, because in the liturgy of the Eucharist, he does sort of say. Come on, everybody, I'm at the head. Let's go, let's go take this hill, follow me. And he and he he leads them in the same direction. I th- I think ideally. I mean, whatever people's thoughts about outer orientum is, I think the in my opinion, the the, the theology of it makes pretty good sense. <laughs> pretty good sacramental sense. But at the chair, I mean he's talking to the people. He's not leading them as their voice to God, or at the ambo, okay, so that's our other kind of piece of furniture here. Uh, you know th- that has a different dynamic too. So y- you're right, Dennis. I mean, he's he's leading them, but in a different way at the chair and in a different way, I suppose, at the at the altar.
2: And part of that is the distinction between the liturgy of the word, where a lot of things are actually directed to the people, and the liturgy of the Eucharist, in which the people are led to the Father through Christ as Christ.
1: I just so, want to be clear yeah. were you were you implying at some point in any of that that maybe the pres- the chair would be facing. Away from the people
2: No um, But the the first option The general instruction gives It says the best place Is in the position Facing the people At the head of the sanctuary So center of the sanctuary Facing the people In many older churches You would see Something they call a sedilia, Which would be like Three seats together And it would be off to the left You know Perpendicular to the people And uh, that gave them The opportunity To look at the people And also then to go up
0: To the altar If the priest sits behind the altar Then that doesn't make Quite as much sense yeah, but I mean, well, but then you get into, okay, so do does a priest chair, if it's not in the place at the apse, and so it's kind of off to the side of the altar, is it sort of um, uh, flush against the wall? of the apps or, or do you start to angle it at a 45 so you can see mm-hmm. you know, or do you turn it Boy, we're away we're getting real
1: nerdy about this well, well
0: you know it's it's nerdy until you're the one who has to set it up or you're the one who has to decide what to do about it and then all of a sudden well what am i going to do and why what's informing this uh, decision and, and as you can imagine jesse i mean people can argue about anything in, in the liturgy and they do yeah and the, the 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 sort of the the angle of the priest's chair relative to the to the wall is one of those things
2: Yep. And, you know, that happened at Mundelein too, We would put the chair one way for this liturgical institute and then the seminary one in a different way, which is their right. But this is just, what do you do? And I would say the instructions are not very clear. I mean, well, if you want to read it as it says, the best place is in the position facing the people at the head of the sanctuary. But that does run contrary to at least what's happening in America right now. Nobody wants that. So... What do you do? Because it does allow the tabernacle to be in the center behind the altar. And then if that's the case, then it doesn't say where you put the chair. So I guess like a lot of things like the choir, remember a great choir rum, uh, rumble many years ago, it says it could be this or it could be that, or it could be this or it could be that. But the chair itself has a meaning uh, aside from the practical solutions. that maybe we could Talk about that unless you have another uh, idea.
0: Well, no, I no, I, I think that is the, the place to go, but it, it's interesting, right? So I was thinking about, well, how would you, you know, given all these possibilities, Dennis, let's say you're going to contextualize this in a proper hermeneutic of uh, uh, how do you say it, a continuity or reform or whatever it is. Um, but in the, you know, immediately before the, the council, I mean, the chair was kind of an afterthought I mean, because pe- priests didn't preside from the chair at all; it was all from the altar, and so there's a little bit of well. I mean, should you look to that as a precedent? Uh, on the other hand, I mean, it th- there is there is some meaning uh, in the chair. It, 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 I don't know. I, I think I'm starting to ramble here, but you can only gain so much from the from from at least the immediate tradition, but. Right. And that you could make the argument, and some people would, I guess, that
2: the chair had an important place and then it lost it and just became a place for the priest to rest. Um, and that everything else in the extraordinary form, whatever it's called these days, as you said, happened at the altar. Now the chair becomes a seat of authority and certain things are have been restored to the chair. And I, You know, honestly, Chris, I've never seen a lot of serious theology on this very important shift from – Things that used to happen to the altar now happening at the chair. I don't know if you have, but an you know, interesting yeah, study.
0: Well, I think, I mean, the best thing I've ever read was <clears throat> published in the Adoramus Bulletin, and it was authored by you. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> you I, mean, I, didn't, mean, I didn't talk about that question, you know. <laughs> well, still, no, I think it has a lot of theology in it, and maybe Je- uh, Jesse can put it in there. But I think, you know, if you were, well, two things come to mind, is... Um, uh you know we we we've talked in the past about the munera that Christ has as a prophet as a priest and as a king and to my way of thinking the the principal uh furnishings in the altar are the chair excuse me in the sanctuary are the chair the altar and the ambo and these Can I t- can I guess at those the pairings of that? Do it.
1: Okay so the altar is the um priest the ambo is the prophet and the chair is the king.
0: Yes. And so I think if there's anything to that, then the, that the chair signifies, well, I mean, that's the word that the germ at 310 uses, it signifies uh, the function of presiding and directing prayer. And that's what kind of Christ the King does, I suppose. And so I think there's some theological insight. But I think, too, if how the catechism goes about this, and it's not just the catechism, it's the tr- tradition, too, is they talk about XYZ in the economy of salvation, you know, that, you know, the chair doesn't mean what it does because the Second Vatican Council says, or the Council of Trent says, or Pope, whatever his name was, says, is it has all of these kind of theological strings attached that come from creation and culture and chairs in the Old Testament and chairs in the time of Christ and chairs that exist in heaven, things like that. And those are, I think, are the sources that you would look to if you wanted to say, well, what's the theology of the priest chair? And so, you but know, you talked about being the grand marshal of the parade before or even Dennis, if you could set me up with like a a, a chair, uh, an endowed chair of uh, liturgy and beauty and culture at Benedictine or something. Yeah, like I that. wish I could set me up with one of those. <laughs> OK, but what does that mean? I mean, there's chairs all over the place in right. colleges. What does well, that mean?
2: I'll tell you the thesis statement claim that I wrote for the article for Adoremus Bulletin. How about that, Chris? The chair is a preeminent architectural sign, not only of authority, but of the spiritual power and responsibility given to the successors of the apostles to bring about Christ's new humanity, divinized with the very life of God. Woohoo! What does that mean? Remember any of that? It's a long sentence. I like long sentences. People will often say the sign of authority, right? You got the big chair, you're in charge. So the king sits on a throne or the CEO has the big chair in the office or whoever is at the meeting, leading the meeting yeah. sits at the end of the table.
0: Yeah. If you're if you're a, a chairperson, that means you have authority over McDonald's or mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're running. Yeah. It's a everybody
2: authority. else has to stand or, you know, even less than in front of you, then they are not in charge for sure. Right. And don't forget the famous uh, duo, Sonny and Chair. Those are good band. Oh, man, Jesse. <laughs> You can feel my crown in heaven getting shinier. (laughs) And
1: the beat goes on.
2: (laughs) But, you know, there's all through scripture, you know, I like to do these proposed these word searches on online scripture stuff, right? And you see, whenever you see God, he's on a throne. Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, uh, the Lord is seated on his throne. Um, the Ark of the Covenant in the Temple of Solomon was said God was enthroned between the cherubim. They were the two uh, angels uh, on each side. And so what you get from the seat, the idea of a seat, um, is some authority will be here. And then the sort of scary side of authority is, I'm in charge and you're not. Right? But if you think about the... um, you know, and here we are in Advent, right? So the utterance of the Messiah, in love, a throne will be established. This is uh, Isaiah 16, 5. In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One who seeks justice speeds the cause of righteousness. So authority is a good thing. Power, even better. You know, we just went to Yakima, Washington, and uh, I was talking about God is not angry at you. And part of the images of God in scripture are a little scary seated on the throne lightning bolts coming out of his mouth flames of fire flashing out of his eyes you want your God to be a kick blank you know you want your God to be a kick over the devil right you don't want some powerless God who can't defeat Satan and crush sin and death so, authority is a good thing. And chairs are always uh, the sign of that. It comes up again and again. David sits on his throne. Solomon sits on his throne. Um, Pilate, remember, sat on the judgment seat in front of Christ when uh, he
0: was judging him. And so, and, there's and a lot of things there. Did they talked about the, thro- the seat of Moses. Yeah. Um, trying to connect the dots so there. Wasn't it that the God's fulfillment? Would be would sit upon the seat of Moses, meaning Christ,
2: yeah. Well, that's mentioned like in, Jesus, in Matthew uh, 23, too. Don't I sound so good with my you uh, Because fib- <laughs> wow. I wrote a piece about this the synagogue. Man, you're yeah. like, you're going like all Chris Carson. You're like, oh, that's <laughs> that direct quotes. Uh, the synagogue, you know, was not the temple, the synagogue was a place for scripture, reflection on scripture. Um, and it's mentioned by Christ specifically as a place where the scribes and the Pharisees gave the authentic interpretation of the law of Moses. So the idea is whoever sits there is a teacher, uh, even a Pharisee's person who uh, gives commentary on the law. So what do you have here? The seed of Moses. Why is it called the seed of Moses? Well, he was the authority figure. He was the prophet. And he was priest. And so you have this notion that this chair signifies the living authority. Well, then Moses dies. They still keep a big empty chair there so other people can speak on the interpretation of what Scripture means and a living authority. So... The chair of Peter in Rome, of course, for the pope, is very much like a fulfillment of that. So what do you want? You want the true teacher on the throne. That's Christ. And who's the vicar of Christ? Pope. So when you go to St. Peter's in Rome, this big, giant chair, you know, big shrine of the chair.
0: Yeah, on that point, um, is there really a chair? (laughs) Is there really a chair there beneath that Holy Spirit window?
2: Yeah, there is. Yep. Yeah. For many years, it was thought to actually be Peter's chair. They've done all this analysis of the wood. And it turns out it's a late medieval chair, or at least was rebuilt as a late medieval chair. So the wood in there is not old, at least as the scientists have discovered it. But it doesn't really matter if it's his actual chair or a chair. It's the symbolization uh, oh, of oh, yeah. the, the authority.
0: Well, and even uh, February twenty, sorry, all these flashes of, uh, uh, of recollection, February 22nd is a feast day. Is the feast of the Chair of Saint Peter, right? Yep. So we even have a feast day devoted to a chair, which is weird. If you don't, if you don't understand the significance and symbolism and sacramentality and theology of the chair, there's another weird things that Catholics do. Right. So
2: you know Cardinal Reisinger mentioned the seat of Moses and the uh, Spirit of the Liturgy, and uh, he said it means that God speaks today still right he spoke through moses then the event that he gave the law to moses was not over just when moses died it's not just a thing of the past but god himself continues to speak by those to whom he gives authority and that authority is signified by the Hmm. chair
0: you know um i could save this for the next podcast but i'll probably forget it if i don't say it now but I I've just made this connection as uh, you were talking about the seat of Moses and being whoever gets to whoever is sitting in that seat is the one who speaks with his authority. So in a little bit later in uh, as mass starts, the priest says, the Lord be with you. And the people's response is and, and with, you your spirit. You spirit. Okay? with your spirit. And the roots of that reply is um, Moses. Complaining about his heavy workload and the assistance that he needs, because it's killing him, and so God puts the spirit of Moses on these seventy elders, and they can speak. Well, what the story goes? There's a couple speaking uh, outside of the camp, and I don't know. Is it Joshua or somebody is jealous? For Moses' sake said, Hey, who are you to talk like you're Moses? And Moses says, Oh you know he says, No, they they are speaking with my authority. And so you even have that linguistic, oh, uh, the the language making the same sacramental point as the chair making the same sacramental point.
2: Right. And if you sit on the seat of Moses and you don't have authority, that's a problem, right? So I I I don't have the citation here now, but Christ says in some place uh, they sit on they like to sit on the seat of Moses, right, and receive honor and all of that, um, and so. Chair, place a signifier of authority. Now we've been talking about sacramental things, you know, for five years now, right? So how do you make the invisible sign of authority knowable? Well, there's lots of ways. You know, a bishop is a bishop, for instance. So the cathedra is the chair of the bishop, which would be the principal seat of authority. And I always like to say this because people forget that the word cathedral, although we use it as a noun, is actually an adjective. It's the cathedral church, just like your. Um, I don't know what Annual Visit to the To the is doctor Is
1: supposed to be Because it's like The chair of chairs It's like the chair Of the diocese
2: No it's the adjective That describes the church It's the, it's oh, the Church oh, that has a cathedra okay. in it So it would be like Your autumnal Nap Or something But We've lost the church Part of it And we just say, Oh it's the cathedral This is what happens In English a lot Adjectives become uh Nouns and nouns become verbs, you know, like journaling became a verb. When I was a kid, journal was only a noun. You didn't journal. You wrote in your journal. So the cathedral church. Now, why do the bishops have authority primarily? Because Christ gave it to them, to the apostles, and then their successors of the apostles. And then every chair in a church, maybe I'll ask you, Christoph von Kostens, uh,
0: why does the priest have a chair if the bishop authority is given to the bishop? Ah. Uh. Well, I think in some ways the, the priest is an extension of the bishop and he's only serving in the, at the bishops with his good pleasure and permission and faculties and all of the rest and probably the, and it's only because the bishop himself can't show up at, you know, hundred parishes on a Sunday morning that he has to have sort of lesser groupings of the faithful and priest to represent. And I suppose the the chair of the priest is an extension of that same authorization and authority of the bishop.
2: Right, exactly. So you have a smaller chair in a parish, the bigger chair in the uh, cathedral. And it says in the general instruction, it shouldn't look like a throne. So that was, it used to get very throne like. Um, and I guess they're trying to take away any sense of the merely earthly power of a bishop and just keep it uh, on to their spiritual authority. Now, one thing we haven't said, Chris or Jesse, when the Pope defines something definitively, what is that kind of statement called?
1: Oh gosh, <laughs> from the from the chair. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, it escapes Ex, me. I'm sorry. X. Cathedra. Yeah. yeah. Oh my. God, how did I forget <laughs> that? And you know, because I was actually thinking, for whatever reason, sede vacante, like the chair. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a, the opposite oh, of that. Yeah. I,
1: huh. No, I know, but like that's the only thing I could think of. <laughs> I was like, I know that's not it. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, cathedra. And uh, Sede, there's the same words, but they're different. The cathedras is vacante. Yeah, there must be a different uh, origins or something, Greek versus Latin or something.
0: Oh, Sede uh, versus, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah.
2: But, you know, when the Pope gets elected, Pope, he's not automatically, you know, installed as Bishop of Rome. Well, actually, I don't want to argue that because I don't know for sure. But what he does do is at some point he goes to... The Church of Saint John Lateran in Rome, which is the cathedral of Rome, and he takes possession of the chair. It's called the Mass of Possession of the Chair of the Bishop of Rome, and that's when he's sort kind of installed, I suppose, as the Bishop of Rome. And when Pope, uh, when Pope Benedict. Um, went there. He gave this really nice talk about it. And he said the chair is uh, the pope, of, the bishop of Rome sits on the chair to bear witness to Christ. And the chair is the symbol of what he calls the potestas docendi. Either of you got enough Latin for that one? Potestas docendi. power of teaching. The power to teach. Which he says is the, an integral part of the mandate of binding and loosing, which the Lord confers on Peter and then after him on the apostles. So you say, okay, authority. Well, what good is authority? Well, if you're going to have the power over, um, you know, binding and loosing, you better have that authority. And so the chair um, signifies that. And then he says, of course, it's all in love. You have to do this in love, a symbol of the power of teaching, but
0: also the truth and love. Well, and Right. So the bishop can teach or preach or instruct while From seated the in the chair. Right. Now, but a priest, uh, he can stand at the chair. And do that, but he can't sit in the chair and do that. Again, sort of these, these connections, yet not quite the same thing uh, as what the bishop can do. Yeah, I remember <laughs>
2: when we, we got a new Richter at Mundelein a number of years ago, and he, he was celebrating uh, a mass that was important enough to have incense, and he put incense in the uh, thurible. From the while sitting in the chair, and one of the more pesky liturgically minded people told him, You're not supposed to sit at the chair as a priest. (laughs) Well, you put (laughs) incense in the thurible only if you're a bishop. He's like, Wow, what is this about? (laughs) But you know, (laughs) signs mean things. I know at one level it's very pesky. On the other hand, you want to signify bishops are different from priests and they have uh, specific kinds of. uh, significations of that right yeah
1: and Chris to take this from the divine to the mundane what is that thing? what, what is that you, what is that phrase you always say yeah right.
0: For, so I mean
1: I'm sure maybe this isn't as true anymore but I'm sure all of us had dads who had like hit, that was his chair like the recliner or like dad sat in the same place at dinner and oh, so yeah but what was great is uh television in the absence of a father you could you could <laughs> there there's an official thing you could sit in that chair But when he was there, oh, boy, Mm -hmm. you better get out.
0: But, you know, Jesse, you're expressing uh, a lot of the same uh, meaning and content of the presider's chair right there. I I mean, I joke, but it's it's, it's true. It is true. I (laughs) mean,
1: it's, you know, I just think that's what I love about how, you know, earthly and ritualistic we are. And and that's not to say that that's true for every family. But there is is an essence to there, and and it, it allows us to be able to relate to what's happening.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. I did find the uh, citation about where the deacon sits in Sunday celebration. The absence of uh, of a priest,
0: he sits in the presidential chair. That's mm-hmm. exactly right there. Hey, maybe just one other thing on the deacon's chair before we sign up, because this this is a question that's actually pretty common, especially in deacon formation. Where does the deacon sit? Does he sit on the left side of the priest or the right side of the priest?
2: Left well, side. Uh, I guess that depends if you think he's
0: evil or not. So uh, wait, stage left or what? To the to the priest's left. Does he sit to the priest's left or the priest's right? That's what right? I think. I don't know. What left? Yeah. What do you think, Dennis? Mm, I'm trying to think when I've seen deacons which side they sit on. Uh, well, what if there's that two? That may deacons? not be the
1: best indicator, though. Well, if, there, doing if there's two,
0: two then it's is piece of cake. But what if there's if just there's one, one? I like would a, say like most Sundays. Which side was the good thief on, Christ? Right? <laughs> I don't know. Let's say right. Uh, yeah, there, here's what it says. This is back at three ten in the in the in the germ. It says uh, the seat for the deacon should be placed near that of the celebrant. <laughs> wah, 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 it doesn't wah, even say wah. so right no. in front
1: of him? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I sort of think of it as the deacon is the priest's right hand man, and he should sit uh, at the priest's uh, right. That's kind of the place of of uh, significance. So and, so anyway, I, I agree. I think that's what I've heard. Although, So if there's another concelebrant, though, he might occupy the higher spot at the right and the deacon might move to the left. I don't know. But again, real nerdy stuff. Who really cares uh, until you're the deacon who's all of a sudden you arrived there and you're looking at these two chairs. That, well, which one
2: am I supposed yeah. to sit in? Or until you, so, you're on the church building committee and the, the architect says, where do you want the chairs to go? And you go, uh, I don't know. Not that the that church that's... documents help. All that much, <laughs> but at least if you have the principles down, you can make something. I've seen this happen many times where they've spent all this money in this altar and this church in the Ambo, and then they just get a chair from an antique store, and you see this little wooden chair sitting in the sanctuary, and it's not fixed, and it's not permanent. It doesn't appear to signify the authority that, it's,
0: that it should. And I suppose that that's maybe a good takeaway point. You know, despite all the ambiguities that do exist, I mean, the, the thing that is important is that the chair is a significant furnishing because it helps to manifest that the priest is standing in the person of christ the king and that's why i think the priest should use we i've found it you know with i don't know if this is a covid casualty or not when everybody's supposed to stay away from each other's um but i think a lot of priests are doing more things from the altar rather than have you know the server right in front of him with the book um that might be good i don't know good medicine or science whatever that means anymore but i don't think it's as good of uh theology as as it could be meant anyway that's all, all right
1: well, should we answer our liturgy question after the one we just asked and answered
2: ourselves? Are we allowed to stand during this answer? Or, or do we Must we stand or are we allowed to sit? I told you, I can sit. You guys have to stand. Well, Chris has, I think among us in uh, liturgy questions, Chris has the highest level of, of authority since he answers <laughs> them. So, Chris, you can sit and hey, we, we stand. actually,
0: isn't that what they used to say in the bad old days? The teacher would sit. Yeah, and the, students would stand. yeah and the students would stand. And the students would all stand. Now you, now when you're, you know, you're going to Benedictine, uh, Dennis, you're the one who's standing in front of everybody. Well, there. the student
2: no. has become from the master. I and sit Luke. and I make them all stand. That's why they love me. All
1: right, let's answer a question.
2: Mail call. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care?
0: Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning.
1: Okay, this week we have a question from Dan. Hey, Dan. Um, and it, it's a, a Chris, Chris obviously doesn't like you, Dan. Say so let's hi to Dan. Yep. Oh, hi, Dan. <laughs> Chris, say hi to the questioner. <laughs> um, okay, so Dan has a few questions about the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, and he's serving as an extra minister of exposition slash adoration. And he mentions a couple of books: the Holy Communion, uh, Holy Communion of Worship of Eucharist outside Mass, and Order of the Solemn Exposition of the Eucharist presiders edition, and he basically has some questions he just needs clarification on um, in in regard to the uh, celebrating this without a priest present. So he has got three questions. I'll just read the three questions, and then we can go through them. He wants to know uh, what it's proper for him to wear, like a cassock or elb or street clothes. He also wants to know if he can use incense, uh, either incensing the monstrance or just have the incense burning to the side and then he wants to know about blessing at the end obviously not blessing the people with the monstrance but he wants to know what what can he do in terms of blessing like the phrase you have been given bread from heaven that type of stuff so those three questions he has about uh adoration without in the absence of a priest
0: hmm. okay uh, a couple of things to start is uh uh dan you're looking in the right books holy communion and worship of the eucharist outside of mass is the place that contains this um, we've said this in other shows though. This was one of the very first books that came after the council. And so you'll find in this kind of some gaps that you wish would be filled in. And, uh, you may have heard that the USCCB at their November meeting has approved. Oh, I can't remember there. It's yeah, I think they've uh, approved it and sent it to Rome, a revised translation of that book that has uh a sample order of exposition adoration and reposition that takes into account kind of how we do things in the united states that's it fills in some of those gaps okay that other book uh what was it called jesse the order for the solemn exposition i think uh presiders Uh, edition it was the order
1: for the solemn exposition of the holy eucharist presiders edition
0: yeah i think that's a a usccb book anyway those are good resources but Uh, To the first question, what to wear, I think you'll find in there that it says that the the one leading can, at least if it's a priest or deacon, can wear a cassock and surplus with a stole over the top or an alb. Uh, In the germ, at least, it says that the the vestment common to all ministers of any rank is the alb. So I think uh, al I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend make alb your first choice, but it seems that cassock and surplus may be acceptable too. So maybe in the absence of anything definitive, ask your pastor. So what's the second question?
1: The second question is the use of incense. Can ah, he yeah. incense the monstrance or can he have it to the side? I, I would assume mm-hmm. maybe potentially incensing the people. I don't know.
0: No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't incense the people during a uh, uh, benediction. There's two forms of, uh, of exposition. One is called the simple form where you would uh, uh, expo- you basically put a, a ciborium on the altar. I don't think most of us are familiar with this, but that's one of the options the book gives. The second more solemn form is uh, the, the host in a monstrance. That's the one we're most familiar with. My read is that incense is mandatory during the second form, during a solemn exposition, but optional in the first form. So so Dan, I don't think it's a matter of you doing it or father doing it. I think if you're doing uh, exposition in... Um, uh, in a monstrance. It seems like it's mandatory.
1: And he would in, he would incense the monstrance?
0: I, it doesn't seem to give the minister um, the option not to. But look at the text and see see what it says. My recollection is it it's not an optional thing.
1: Okay. And the last question is about a blessing at the end. Yeah.
0: yeah so, yeah, it's clear that only a, a priest or deacon actually gives the blessing with the monstrance. And so Dan's right, right not to give the blessing with the monstrance. But can you say, you know, basically when you say blessed be God, blessed be his holy name, those are benedictions, literally. And, and so you you could, I think you could say that. Uh, so uh, my read is that uh, a lay person leading these rites at the end of uh, adoration could say those types of prayers.
1: So he could, so there could be an insensation and then there could be at the you know, kneeling in front could do you the benediction.
0: Had given them bread from heaven, having all sweetness oh, okay. within it. Uh, you could say that prayer. Exactly what he would want to do. Yeah, I think you can do everything except actually take the monstrance and give the blessing to the people. That's clearly out. But I, I think the some of those other things are optional. Divine praises and that versicle and that prayer. Those are optional things. The incense, I don't think, is an optional thing, but. Anyway, go to the book, do what it says, have your legitimate pastoral authority fill in any gaps uh, that you might have. Yeah, so this is what we're talking about here
2: is the Minister of Exposition is section uh, 3, paragraph 6061. It says the minister is a priest or deacon should wear what you said, Chris, an alb or surplice over a cassock. Other ministers should wear either the liturgical vestments which are used in the region, or the vesture which is suitable for ministry and has been approved by the ordinary. So um, they could be a member of a religious community, for instance, or a lay association, it mentions. And uh, doesn't say specifically what a non-priest would wear. I guess there's leaving it up to the local, local custom there.
0: Yeah, hopefully this new edition will fill in a lot of that. All
1: right, Dan, I hope this this answers your questions, and you're lucky you got three questions. So don't ever ask us another question again. <laughs> and if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at LiturgyGuys. Thank you, and God bless. God bless.
0: Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end.
1: Our hosts are Chris Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis Big McNamara, and Jesse Y-O-Y-O-Weiler.
2: Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our Epiclesis Inspector is Isabel Ringing.
1: Our Liturgical Bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano.
2: Our Official Aerobics Instructor is Jen Uflect. Our Enforcer of
0: Choral Discipline is Don B-Flat. Our Official Rubrics Interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our Self-Gift Provider is Kenosis. Our Simplicity Enforcer is Fran Siskin.
1: And lastly, our Crack Team of Confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe.
2: And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the Liturgy Liturgy Guys. Guys.